Hello, everyone, and good time zone. Welcome to the Tabletop Colin Show. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you can see on the screen, and I'm also joined by Adam Bell. You can find me, Jeremy Gage, at Jeremy Gage5 over on Twitter. I'm also the host of the Draw Your Dice podcast. If this is your first time tuning in for the Tabletop Call-In Show. Adam, where can people find and learn about you if this is their first time? Me? They can find me on Twitter at Adam e. Bell, or they can even go to adamebell.games to see some of my games. Um, they can go to kickstarter.adamebell.games to get notified for when Legend Has It goes live uh, in, I think I decided, in a week and a day. Wow. On, on January 25th. It's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> Gave yourself a deadline. What a way we've come. Well, not a deadline. Just a just a go. To, everything's done for it. The proof is ordered, so I'm waiting on the proof. The Kickstarter page is, well, let's say 95% done. I need to figure out shipping. And it's all written and blah, 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 blah. So you know, the, only, the only thing we're waiting on, <laughs> the only thing we're waiting on is for me to finish um, printing and then start shipping all of the grasping nettles, which is officially underway. Here is my personal copy, Jeremy. You can't see it. Well, you'll nope. see it on the stream. Well, I can on the. I can see it on the stream. It's delayed. My personal copy exists. It's nice. It's good. I've got a process down. That was yesterday's task. Was figure out how to use the big ass paper cutter that I bought. And I figured it out. So <laughs> we're good to go. It's terrifying. You, I can definitely stick arm. my finger in there and just effortlessly <laughs> lose it. It's a problem. <laughs> There's enough fail safes on it. You have to like pull this big lever down and then also hold out this button thing. So you have to use two hands to really engage the blade. But I still get afraid every time I engage the blade. I'll just use a use a fucking meat cleaver. You know what I'm saying? Just use a butcher's knife. Hmm. you'll never get a straight edge in your life uh well thanks for coming everyone that's the show no i'm just kidding uh as always i want to do a little hello to those of us who are in the chat right now and for those of you who are lurking who i will not say also thank you for being here so uh good time zone to foremost grub nine good time zone to dan phipps to gobbler mixtape uh to will yopes to BLG, thanks for joining us inside of the chat today, and you know we'll be looking at that as today is the talk show version of the tabletop call-in show talk show design talk situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there will be no call-ins today. It's just me and Adam hanging out and talking about subject matter. And this morning, uh, in America. This morning, I have a <laughs> hey, good time zone. Uh, I presented the thought that we, me and Adam, will talk about our GMing styles today. Because last week for the Colin show, we asked everyone to call in and talk about your favorite characters and stories that are related to them. And we did have one question res- uh, revolving around how do we uh, help players create stories for the characters. And I thought, well, if we had a player centric Colin show, I figured we might have like a GMing centric talk show um yeah we don't want to hear so, from you about this yeah <laughs> we don't want to know a huge yeah. it's all us uh also good time zone log that data thank you for for chatting in oh and dice ghost hello good time zone um 
And, uh, <laughs> sorry. See, if you're not watching the show live or watching the VOD on Twitch, you don't get to see the beautiful things the chat is saying. <laughs> morning in America is now a catchphrase. Good morning, get half or. Uh, that'll be the end of my good mornings for now, hmm. uh, as we need to get into talk show territory. So GMing, uh, you know, we don't usually have a structure for these things, but I've, I figured that the best way to get our minds wrapped around it uh, today is let's just let's just start from the beginning, Adam. So, uh, first of all, like, Adam, what is GMing to you? What is game wow. mastering to you? It's when I rule the table. It's when I'm the boss. Yeah. It's when the players <laughs> are gonna lose. Uh, no, <laughs> I got it. Right, yikes. So it's <laughs> my answer. <laughs> so yeah, the the traditional form. You know, if you're watching this show somehow and you've never played a tabletop RPG, <laughs> which you know that's great. I would love for that to yeah, be true. Thanks for coming in. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the traditional form. Of course, you've got uh, the the a group of players. Some of those players are referred to as players, and they play one character. The other player is a not referred to as a player at all. In fact, excluded from the term players, uh, <laughs> despite also playing, is the game master, dungeon master, arbiter, piss man. I don't. There's all kinds of words <laughs> for it. Um, and they kind of act as the they they act as the world they give the world life and breath and they and they adjudicate consequences and they say wait a minute i don't know if you could do that roll some funny dice <laughs> d13 and, please and then the funny dice translate into you know a, basically a story prompt that the the gm in a more traditional game at least says oh this is what happens next what do you do blah 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 they have all the power. <laughs> <laughs> they will win. You can win role playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that you talk about the non-player player as in like the traditional mode of play. I know there's a lot of like Twitter chatter that happens every couple of months of like, is the GM a player? Is there? The that is a that is a topic that comes up. That is a topic that comes up. Just makes sometimes. me vomit. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a good no. It is a good topic, but not for sorry. I no. I I want to take that back a little bit. I just feel like a lot of Twitter threads, because of the the individualist blasting off my opinions nature of Twitter, just shouldn't be Twitter threads because it there are things that are better served for for an actual conversation, ideally over a beer that nobody else in the world has to hear. Yeah. Or if yeah. you're a dickhead and have a have a tabletop call-in show talk show, it can go there. <laughs> <laughs> Which thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I see the GM role as a as a facilitator role. They are the person who took the time to learn the operating system that your entire company, the table, is going to transfer to. Uh, and they're helping mediate and parse that process. Additionally, they are also traditionally seen as like the reactionary force 
to the mm. player prompts in a way. Like player A wants to do this thing. Uh, and so the GM often has to take that prompt or opening data and then parse that into a scene, typically. I'm sure we have much more modern thoughts about like how this looks like at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just as an open to the show, that's sort of, for those who may not know, that's traditionally what at least I've been you think- exposed to in the way that you described it. Like the first time I learned about GMing and like D&D 5th edition, that was how the precedent was set. And then like the Matt Mercer effect and stuff like that. You think the GM, the traditional form of GM is that the GM is a, an agent of reaction? I I think so. I think I they do like... preparatory work for the world. Yeah, uh, that that's what I see as the traditional style is like the the goofball with the big world binder. And then, you know, it's their world. You're just living in it as the players. And so it's more the well, players think... are reacting to what the GM's throwing at them. And then, like, the good way is that the GM is re- – not the good way, but the good way <laughs> is that the players <laughs> are way. reacting to it. To the GM's world. No. No. The bad way is... The old way is the... (laughs) Holy shit. The old way is that the players are reacting to the GM's world. The new... Or like the the more... Damn, there is no way to talk about anything without sounding like an asshole. No. So... The the next stage of that is the GM reacts to what the players are doing. Through the lens of probably still that prep. Right. I think I think that for the first, I understand somehow what you're saying, <laughs> and the first part is the I think the game acts first. The players are reacting to the game, not necessarily mm-hmm. the GM. The GM may do prep and stuff, but that I think that's all based off the mm. like the game that they're reading, right? So like players react to the game, players make a choice, then the GM follows up from the player's reaction. Like I think that's the the path i'm seeing of oh, we're gonna go somewhere with this conversation are we because it's <laughs> yeah. just so esoteric players react to the well, game see i see maybe creating a character is, a, is the maybe first and potentially biggest time that the players react to the game right the game presents mm-hmm. them all of these options and those options filter through the brain stem and come out <laughs> the finger bones what it, they come you out the writing? Fi- cool. yeah either writing or or tap tip tap <laughs> clacking away at your roll 20 sheet to create the character right like the character is a reaction to like from the player to the game presenting them options of like here's who you can be and from that they create a little guy <laughs> I but just then, a little guy on the mic for our it, listeners <laughs> but then once they're playing it's got. It's kind of more. You think they react to the game once? Once you're playing, like once oh, I'm fighting this goblin. The goblin is a construct of the GM, right? In this, in the traditional sense. Depends on the game. I think when you like, if we think about the Rosetta Stone game that is Dungeon Dragons Fifth Edition, the I think Stone. that the yeah, the <laughs> goblin is a product of the game and the GM is just operating it. You know what I mean? Unless they've like homebrewed something into it, then I think that's when it becomes a little bit different. But I feel like you're just getting in, getting in the mech suit 
that is D&D 5th edition when it comes to, like, that's that specific vacuum example, the goblin. Like, mm. you're just piloting the goblin. You're not necessarily, really you didn't create the goblin, right? Did you not? Anyways, <laughs> GMing styles. Wait, uh, <laughs> did you not create the goblin? Hang on. <laughs> Not to, not if you're using the one from the monster manual. Someone well, else created the goblin. So somebody else created right? the goblin stat block, the template for the goblin. Yes. And then the GM takes that, filters it through their brain, and is then giving it life, thereby making it their own creation in the actual world that you're playing in. Like, yes, all of the bones of the goblin are on the page written by somebody in a content mine in the Wizards of the Coast laboratory. <laughs> but <laughs> whenever I bring the goblin to my table, it's like, what? Fuck. It's not the thing. It, like, you need me as the game master to make yes, the goblin yes. real. And so, like, the players aren't reacting to the game. They're reacting to my rendition or my interpretation of a part of the game but like the game I, is still just on the sidelines i think i think what's interesting here in oh. my mind is that we're both correct like i think there's yeah. just i think it's the the processing the let's to circle it back to mm. what our gming styles are uh and i think this is actually a really good like thing to notice is just the lens that we're like i feel like i'm taking a very uh like mechanical or operational approach to like gming and that may also be my style in mm. some cases and what i'm hearing or feeling is that like you are viewing the game as a like just a single starting point for inspiration and then the game like the actual game at the table is something else entirely like it becomes something else entirely for you that's what i'm you feel free to correct me if that's not necessarily true, but that's what I'm feeling yeah, from how we're both parsing this. I don't think necessarily single point of inspiration because it is a const it's a constant underbed of inspiration where every time yeah. every time anybody's not sure, they refer back to the game for a hint on which direction mm -hmm. the story should go. Mm -hmm. So like, you can play out a whole scene without ever using the game, but you're still playing the game when you do that, right? Mm -hmm. But like, yeah that's because playing the game is boy this is tough to yeah. talk about off the cuff <laughs> <laughs> for the viewer and, and listeners uh reference it was about five minutes before the show started where we were like what are we talking about today <laughs> so none of this we didn't have time to plan and come in with words like prescriptivist or uh i'm sure that's a word that could be used in this conversation somewhere smart words uh, we're going from the from the feeling of, of how it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like the game exists as a constant undercurrent throughout your whole experience of play, and then that experience of play is a combination of everything. It's a combination of the game giving tips to the GM, the game giving tips to the players in the form of like their their everything's a story prompt. So in the form of their yeah. um their abilities it's like oh you can i have fire i could cast fireball as a wizard 
That means I have this story prompt that I have the narrative control three times because I have three spell slots or whatever the fuck. Three times per adventure I can... Um, hang on, my cat wants to get on this chair. She's very upset that there's stuff on it. <laughs> oh, now you want the stuff. Here. Whatever. Um, there's so much good chat going on. <laughs> three times, because I have three spell slots, I can... I just Nobody can say no to this addition to the story that I that my character casts a fireball and people get hurt. I love that. Right. Um I don't know. What the hell was I reacting to? Everything. Everything about it's like what right. does it mean to be a GM? How does it how does it all how did game this got into the what is what is game versus role? How could it not? Play. Yeah. You asked me what you asked me what a GM is, and how could you not just immediately decompose <laughs> into a festering mass of trying to define basic things? <laughs> huh. uh, so adjusting the gear slightly to like us. Uh, so Adam, how do you like? You've got a new game in your hands, right? Or maybe an old game that you're falling in love with all over again. How do you how do you start to play? How do you like begin to workshop the game? And let's make the assumption that like the players are already interested in in trying out the okay. game. Uh, how do you how do you parse your session zero slash like workshop meeting? What it does depend on the game. <laughs> sure, sure, as always. But let's I need say everyone who's listening and viewing to understand <laughs> that the game could be anything and it's going to have different requirements. But like sort of what are some general things you start to do? I mean, I think broadly, you know, obviously I read it. Usually kind of front to back, I glaze over when it comes to player abilities because like those will come Same. up when those are story prompts that I don't necessarily have access to. And so then, oh no. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it, it, it! So once we're once we're there, um, or, or once we get to the point where the players have created characters, I will read the the abilities that they've selected if it's a brand new game and like only care about those for now. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, figure out the rules. Figure out like, oh, how can I? How do I actually do this? What kind of story is this game asking me to tell? You know, often they'll have GM prep suggestions, but in general, I just know, you know, I can, okay, all I got to do is come up with like an outline and I can trust myself and the players to carry us and hopefully this game, if it's good (laughs) to carry us the rest of the way, good in my, from like my lens where I, I really do prefer kind of like a skeleton of prep and then Mm -hmm. finding the meat through play as opposed to. Uh, world Bible guy who comes in with the big binder. It's his. It's his world. You're playing with in it. <laughs> Just taps it. Don't don't make me open the Bible, dude. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions, of course I can answer them. <laughs> I've thought of everything. Um, what? Yeah. So like, figure out a skeleton. Like, oh, okay. If if I've just read Blades in the Dark for the first time. You know, figure out what's just a heist that, that they can go on. Um, often, though, that will be immediately thrown out the window whenever we do get to character creation. Because, mm. you know, I, it, 
the easiest way to make sure everybody is engaged and having a blast is when you just are extracting little content pulls from their characters from at least one character at the table to, to, to like craft your first session of the game mm-hmm. um, or provide that before they, if, if I come with an adventure in mind or with a heist or whatever the hell in mind, say like, this is what we're going to do. You know, build a character that would be into that <laughs> or wait until they've built characters and, and go from there. So I, which, you know, which of those two really would depend on, you know, the players, if we're planning on this just being a one shot, if we're planning on doing a camp, because if it's doing a campaign, I would want there to be a little bit more chatting ahead of time of like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. What are we interested in? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Does that answer your question of what I do? Yeah. I mean, you tell me. I don't bud. know. Well, so the thing, <laughs> the problem with the problem with times when I have to talk for longer than a minute is I do <laughs> right about at that minute mark forget why I was talking, which That's might come off. <laughs> might come off in that I get lost and and am branching out in the end. But yeah, I uh I think that's what about you? <laughs> what are you approaching? Uh, I I definitely take uh I'm a very organized individual when it comes to games. Uh especially starting role playing ones cuz you know, I like I like a sense of commitment and stuff. So, like, general things I'll come to for a game is scheduling. Uh, and I'll also come with pitches because uh, mm. I do view the GM as a player. I like to play. I like to have my own say in things that are going on. But not in, like, I try not to be do it in an antagonistic way. Like, you have to operate within these confines of the world. Just like, hey, here are my here's my share of ideas for, like, the setting, and then we'll use your characters to add more to that or, Mm -hmm. like, manipulate things. So usually I hold, like, a workshop session. I don't necessarily call it session zero anymore because I don't know if everyone always understands what that means, but when I say, hey, we're going to workshop some characters, I found that new players are like, oh, okay, like, I get that. Whereas other times I've said, like, hey, this is session zero. Like, hmm? (laughs) What does that mean? Uh, So we do some workshopping sessions where everyone comes to the table, I have like campaign pitches based on the game that I've read or the game that I'm interested in. And again, this is assuming the players have said yes to like the basic back of the book premise of the game. Right. And uh, I'm like, hey, this is sort of like a, uh, cause I don't love when people create characters in a vacuum and then you come to the table with those vacuumed characters and they all have their own individual drives and wants and quests. That's a very long campaign uh, that, you know, that's the 100 session campaign because everyone has things they want to do. And if there are additional things that come out of the story through play, I'm totally happy facilitating those. But I think having a starting nugget of stuff with like potential for little side quests or like uh, entangle, entangleable, entangling uh, <laughs> concepts, I think is really cool. So. Uh, we talk about like safety tool stuff if there's certain content pieces that are uh, sensitive for players. Uh, we develop our own tools and our own systems of communicating with each other and checking in. 
and then we'll do like character concepting stuff. So I'll go around the table and like, let's again, use uh, D&D as an example. Like if someone makes an elf, uh, I will ask them to tell me like about elves. I will not tell them mm-hmm. about elves. I will have them you discuss like that. With getting the, the world Bible out. No, I'm not a world bro- fucking phrenology of elves. I am. I am a small like world pamphlet guy. Mm. I will say mm. in that, like I'll have maybe like five pillars that like the setting stands on. Like these are our verisimilitude pillars yeah. that side things for the world. And then additionally stacked on top of that foundation is the player information I'm receiving at the workshop. Yeah. So elves, what do paladins do? If there's a cleric, what sort of faiths are there? Or like, what is your, maybe like, what is your religion? And was like um, uh, a faith or belief or religion that you are, or spirituality that you are uh, maybe viewing or is challenging your concepts of your faith? Like what what is sort of like the challenge of faith for you? And just go, go through uh, those different swaths of the character sheet stuff. I agree. I also glaze over the player character stuff for any game until like we hit the table and they've decided like the mechanical bits that they mm. are choosing. Cause then that's, those are the things that matter to me. And then I look at the progression of those characters afterwards, especially if it's like combat based stuff, which is stuff I often play. Um, so safety tools, character like slash player buy-in stuff. We build the world together. We have like mm. sort of our base foundation of stuff. I've presented like the, what are we doing sort of thing. Like I, uh, I have a Theros game uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Theros is the Magic the Gathering Sword and Sandals setting that's very, like, Greek-inspired. And they did a, uh addition to that for uh, D&D 5th edition. So for that one, I presented a particular, like, storyline. I The characters start out as zombies that have returned from the underworld uh, that go to regain their memories to find out what they were doing. And we sort of, like, emerge, emergently decide what they were doing in a sort of way. I give them like little visions or dreams throughout play and then they interpret those and whatever they say is what I'm taking to know of like, this is what they're interested in. So uh, those three things. And then if we need to do like a combat simulation to like test out abilities, I'll also do like a half hour to an hour of that as a part of the creation process of like, yeah, so here's how you roll for an attack. Here's like a little goblin dude. Oh, and then they're like, oh, I don't really like this ability or class doesn't do the thing that I thought it was going to do. Um, And I think that's useful for that sort of stuff. And again, that's game dependent. Uh, But I'll also like, even for Blades in the Dark, I did like a small scene of like, here's how the mechanics work. Because I think it's better to like get your hands on it and understand it instead of like coming to what is going to be an assumption of like the concrete session one. And then we can't like really go backwards. Like, some especially newer players don't feel like they can switch classes, which I'm also super for. Like I'm ultra for retconning. Uh, like, oh, you're not a lurker anymore. You're a spider. Cool. You were always a spider. There's no like question about that. Uh, and just full character concept changes. Don't even need to do like, a, why did this one leave and this one comes? And it's like, oh no, it was always. Hank was always a part of us. Because <laughs> uh, I just think that's easier, especially if people are like getting a grasp of. Uh, the game itself. Mm-hmm. So that's my general thing. Campaign pitch, safety tools, uh, player world building, like player GM world building, uh, and then like 
small, small example scenario of how stuff works. That's my general like go tos. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to pull back a little bit and say like, I am doing a lot of gesturing at at the the fellow with the with the world bible. I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Is the thing? No, I, yeah. I, I do want to. I want to walk back a little bit and, and and make it make it more clear. There are a thousand different ways to play these kind of games, um, and like the first time I ran D anD D, which is the the longest campaign I've ever run. Unfortunately, I'd love. I really need to get a campaign going again soon. But anyway, the first time I ever ran D anD D, it was like. I did come up with a world because at the time I was like, this is what you do. You know, you come up with a little world, you bring the players into it and you have a good time. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, like I was fairly, fl I mean, I am still me, so I didn't have a Bible. I just had a session planned and that session required an idea mm -hmm. of what the world is. And then each time we needed a new place, you know, the world got a little more developed. Um, and I think, I think the game benefited a lot from that, a lot from like just one person being kind of in charge of the different locations. And mm -hmm. then they you tell the players like, oh, here, here's, you know, people in this area need somebody to help them. People in that area need somebody to help them. I think there's, there's a lot of value in a game like that. Like players can then not have to worry about flexing like the, the world building skills. But there's also a lot of value in the stuff that you're talking about. And I find that I find it way more fun to do the stuff you're talking where it's like, I don't come to the table with elves in mind. If somebody yeah. says they're an elf, they tell me what that's like. Yeah. Um, I love it. I think and yeah. it like, it's so the, the light up in their eyes, especially if they've seen something like crit, like critical role or dimension 20 or something like that. Like it's so fascinating to see them like, wait, this is another way to, world build not one guy <laughs> has to do it but all the guys can do it. like all of you <laughs> like it's so to see like the wheels start to turn mm. and i've seen like some of my friends we i uh have gotten quite a few people to gm in our like uh in ohio group and it's i've definitely seen their styles change because i think they find that as players is more enjoyable that they get say in what's going on and to additionally tap into what you're saying about like a world bible could be good thing i think everybody has world... to be into it yeah yeah yeah. I, but i'm saying like regardless of the size i think it is important at the table for like a sense of quote-unquote fairness when like especially if there's a gm to players style of game like it's not a co-op or something like that uh, I think what's nice about having that piece of paper that says these are our pillars of the setting mm -hmm. is that whenever you get into the bounce back and forth of like what's happening in this scene and how does the quote unquote world react to that, we can all look at that piece of paper or the things that we've said and say every time like, oh yeah, I agree with that because that's sort of like what we all bought into that this is how the empire would react because these are their mm -hmm. goals we all decided or it also allows for the chance of a conversation of like well i don't know is that like really something that they want or like someone doesn't feel good about a decision now mm -hmm. it gives you the ability to sort of like adjust that piece of paper without sort of like maybe forgetting or uh what did they do again or like who all lived in this forest or whatever and you know there's smaller bits of 
that can come over time to that mm-hmm. to the to the setting quote unquote document but i think it is nice to have some sort of like basic standard foundation that says we all agreed that this is how the world acts and i think it keeps people from like getting like like uh, a confusion like like a thing of like i don't understand why they why you the gm or like the world made that choice Mm -hmm. right i think that's what that helps prevent and that changes with like friend groups and play groups and stuff like if your friend groups is really trusting you probably don't need something like that because like oh you're you're doing the thing that i know you do as my friend and as a fellow player that we've built trust at the table we don't really need this like document thing i know that you have our best interest at heart but maybe for newer players Mm -hmm. it can help for like making sure that everyone's still on the same page continuously a world truths, as in Iron Sworn, as many people are saying in here. There's no, hey, there's no one way to no. win yeah. the game. <laughs> you can't win. Can't. <laughs> uh, well, I think about that a lot. Can you win a role playing game? I think the only role scene is Band of Blades that actually has like a finish mm-hmm. and a point scoring system. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Big Feather and Bone does have oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Um, whenever Uneasy Lies the Head Second Edition comes out, you mm-hmm. will be able to win that. That is a game with scoring. <laughs> Subway Runners. Mm-hmm. I like Subway Runners. Um, games. I will say something about I don't know exactly how it happened, but some somewhere when you were talking. I did come up with an idea for the bell hack, which is nice. <laughs> it's working. Uh, I think, did you, were you talking about like, you player, if a player makes a choice and then if like the character class doesn't do what they thought it does or whatever, they can walk it back or was that, yeah, did like I they make can that change, up? Okay, you they did can say change their class or something like that. Uh, I really dislike, uh, deep vertical class design. Like once you're a cleric, you're always a cleric and multi-classing isn't really that great except to like break the game or whatever mm-hmm. or to like frustrate and a more um, inexperienced GM. Uh, <laughs> so I always I always opt for like, yeah, we don't need to do like a yeah, fucking... Yeah, let's, let's walk that back. Yeah, let's... We don't need to do a fucking vision quest to get you from cleric to fighter. Like, let's just... Let's just pretend. Let's just make you a fighter. Right. <laughs> So really, it was it's a very small implementation of that idea, which is, I think I'm going to make it so whenever you level up and choose to get a new ability, mm-hmm. the first time you use that ability, it's like saying that you chose it, and then the second time you use the ability, okay, now you're locked in, your level up's complete. So mm-hmm. you can... Like a training thing. Right, you can use it one time, because it's something like inherent to your character class or whatever, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I figured out how to do that. But then you can, as a player... Still say it happened in the story, but like walk it back and be like, no, 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 wait, I think I want a different, I want to try a different thing. That's not exactly, I didn't love that. Um, But then like you have tried that. So if you level up again in the future and try to take that again, like you've already tried that. So you immediately would lock it in Mm -hmm. because you've already, your free trial has expired. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> gotta pay 69.99 uh-huh. uh, a month <laughs> jesus christ 
the double opt-in. Uh, uh, yeah, there, the game that for the Theros campaign, I'm using the system I'm using is Emberwind, mm-hmm. and they do still have like vertical uh, style class design where like once you're in, you're in. But uh, they have one of the requirements for character creation is that you're given a list of abilities. And you just sort of pick and choose up to eight of those abilities in different specific categorical combinations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go up in tier through play, you get another list that is still under the same requirements of selection. But now instead of like 15 options, you have 30 options you can pick from. So there's <laughs> a lot of like ways to power build mm-hmm. a, a play style of character. For instance, there's a... Um, a class called the spiritualist that does a lot of like blood it's kind of like supposed to be like a blood monk or spirit monk or something like that and uh they can either summon spirits from dead lower class enemies or they can they have self-injuring abilities that whenever they lose health they gain benefits or that's how they heal or something like that um, or they can absorb health from enemies. And there's a lot of different abilities that like synergize that way, but then they also have like wide class design in that other classes can facilitate some of their abilities. So like they might have a, like uh, on reaction, if a target becomes prone, you can do this thing. And you might have another friend, like a, another player who has a lot of prone abilities and can just keep knocking an enemy down and you get to keep triggering that ability, which may not be something that you're able to do mm-hmm. easily. Not all classes that can do like the wide lateral mechanic can facilitate it that easily. So it's a very interesting like class design concept. Sorry, I'm resettling in. I saw that. I'm seeing it now happening live. Watching it. Let's get some stretches. Mid mid show stretch. Behind the scenes, I don't have. I can't see Adam do things in real time, so I have to react to the Twitch stream. (laughs) And it's (laughs) because five second delay. It's because every time I share my camera to Jeremy, it makes the uh, the frames drop. Which we, we don't love that. I don't love that. Yeah. I hate that. We don't love that for you, the, yeah. the listener, the viewer. So we have gone to, the, we have picked a game. We've workshopped slash session zeroed. We've talked about those styles of things and how we approach the games. What about like during games? You mentioned that you like just prep for a session. I also totally vibe for that. Like I don't prep a campaign i prep mm-hmm. the next session and have like a uh a destination of like a single idea like if yeah. the story is about recovering your memories and destroying the gods like how like my bullet point is like how do we destroy the gods and then everything else is emergent from session right. to session and have uh, like... so how do you op- go ahead I was gonna say, and I, I, I guess you're gonna ask me, and then I'll, I'll start talking. So when, when do you finish? <laughs> I, I was gonna say, like, how do you? What is the like? So we talked about the beginning. Mm-hmm. What does the middle look like for our game mastering styles? How do you operate from session to session? Do you have, uh, like a specific? Uh, I guess this is something I should have said in the workshop port the, how I open. But I also talk with my players about 
the commitment of how long is this going to be. And typically the maximum amount of sessions I'll ever run is 12. Like I will make wow. a story happen in 12 sessions. That's it's over I don't in 12. Like, I don't like long campaigns. Really? I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't like them. I think that you could have a long campaign over many 12 session uh, seasons. That's a okay. different That's fair. way I sort of think about it. But I do want a complete arc by 12. Okay. Okay, but you can, yeah, if you can link them and keep the same characters and stuff, yeah. then it's, yeah. well, that's what, yeah. The trad model, I suppose. Uh-huh. I, uh, I don't know, like, I, if, if it's campaign play, I definitely like to think about arcs. I like to think about things that are happening. Um, but it is, it's fairly, I think it would be fair, it's kind of fairly reactive. If, if we're wrapping up a lot of things, uh, I like to just make something happen and then just that'll spark the next arc. Um, ideally, whatever that something happening is, is something that will, uh, you know, provide choices, a, a branching path, which then mm-hmm. the choices unselected. I can think in the background, you know, what, okay, what happens because they're not addressing this. And then those will lead to the next big explosion inflection point. Oh, which, what are you doing now? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think about how, yeah. So as an example from the D and D campaign, since that is my, my primary thing, a, a thing that happened was at some point, I can't exactly remember how, but they really disappointed their boss. They were in, they were in hot water with, with the party boss, uh, who mm. was, who was the villain of the campaign. If you remember from last uh, <laughs> last episode. So like I kind of had the, the boss come in and say, okay, here's a bunch of like shitty little tasks that you can do to get back in my favor. And they were all either, I think I, I tried to come up with one that was like so useless and boring that like, if they wanted to go that route, they could, I gave them what he thought was an impossible task of like going to consort with the king in a different kingdom, like to the to the north of the island chain that the game was focused on. Um, there were a couple other options. They ended up going with the what they thought was what the the boss thought was an impossible task, uh, mm-hmm. which that was interesting because then it was like, oh, well, I didn't have anything really planned for that beyond that it will be difficult to broker a deal with this other kingdom. Um, but that ended up being like a really fun entire arc. It might've been 12 sessions. I don't know <laughs> where That's they, the right. They, they got on a boat, they sailed off to the North, they landed. Well, you know, there was turmoil between then and now um, they landed. And then there was like this whole investigation. How do we get an audience with the King? Uh, it was a whole arc where I had stolen. Here's another thing I do as a GM. I just steal from books and stuff that I've read. Cause why wouldn't you? It's right there. <laughs> I stole from the ancillary series. What are they? What are those actually called by Anne Leckie? It's ancillary justice, ancillary mercy, ancillary. Some other thing is the, the third book or maybe mercy is the third book. Either way, there are these books about spaceships. Um, where like the spaceship itself, it has an AI 
and then on the spaceship, it, the spaceship is primarily crewed by like these bodies that just have the AI installed. And so it's from the perspective of this large space. A lot of the stories from the perspective of this large spaceship that can see because it has all of these different bodies. So it, it's just constantly jumping consciousness around. It's a really cool book. Uh, I will say, <laughs> check it out. But <laughs> the thing that I stole was this like many bodied. So I just decided that the King and all the guards were just the same dude. <laughs> and the King had just hundreds of different King bodies. And then all of the guards were also this like hive mind thing. And it was just like really fun to explore with the way that they interacted with that and then figure out what would happen next. So it's just a lot of give and take is, is ultimately, but I do like to come up with like some bits that they explore. And and maybe that's because we were playing D and D and that's what D and D kind of expects of you. But mm-hmm. like coming up with something, they discover hints about it. You provide more, they do more. They add some of their own stuff. You know, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. You're saying, you're saying partially that you have sort of like a prep thing going Mm -hmm. on in the background that you allow for opt in or opt out choices of the player, and you're sort of reacting to their decisions uh, over the course of a session campaign, whatever the scope of of that analysis is. Yeah, I'll provide Uh, choices and then not know what happens because i'm not going to think oh if they choose a xyz happens if they choose b qed happens i'm not going to do that i'm just going to be like you could choose here's all these choices that are based on all this stuff that we've done in the past and then um once the choice is locked in by the players then start exploring okay what what are the ramifications what's next what's to come Mm -hmm. um yeah, that's. I think that's maybe generally like the uh, like the overall. I feel like that's the overall style of D and D GMs. I can't speak for like, because again, again, this is this whole topic is very dependent on like what does the game demand from you. Mm-hmm. So like mid session play for, I'll fucking know, Aegon, second edition versus like, Emberwind, versus like. Uh, even like, well, I guess Grasping Nettles technically isn't a GM game. Iron Sworn, like they all have different demands of like how do you read session to session or like how as you build a thing. Like Iron Sworn is very emergent and it provides a lot of tables for you mm-hmm. to like make decisions with. Whereas D and D gives you a lot of like upfront tools in terms of like tables. I know that the DMG mostly has tables of like, hey, uh what does your villain want and who is your villain and like what plane are you playing in and stuff like that but it doesn't have like in the middle of the game decision making tools mm-hmm. which as i'm saying that is really fascinating to like think about the like the difference of like what is an, an in-game usable table versus like a front loaded table slash a prep table right huh um but yeah, I I think that I am similar to you, but I think, and, you know, this word gets a really bad rap for whatever reason, but, like, I'm a little bit more of, like, a railroady kind mm. of person from arc to arc because I 
do things so quickly. Like the pace of my stuff is a little bit probably faster and tighter than people are used to. Um, because I want to make sure that we like get a thing done in 12 sessions and feel completion. Like I don't, I don't really think a game is sass. I don't like when a game fizzles because stuff isn't really like happening. Mm-hmm. And whether, and I'm not saying that's happening because anyone's like dragging their feet. I'm saying that like other choices arise, lots of side quest things happen, directions change, and you're like trying to make that feel satisfying. But sometimes it feels like the story is restarting again, like when some decisions are made uh, in terms of like the sandbox style of stuff, because mm-hmm. they get interested in like maybe they're progressing through this like Thieves Guild story and suddenly there's like a cult that reveals itself. And maybe you somehow work in that the cult and the Thieves Guild are connected, but now you sort of like restarted the story with this cult thing. Like now you have to build up the cult, make it something like, or the general consensus to make it mysterious and like build it up. So like you're resetting your rising action every time a new situation is present. So I'm a little bit more of like a constrained GM. If there's like really interesting side quests or like side emergent stories that happen, I'll either, if they feel like they're doable within like a half session to a session, I will like fully engage with that. But I'll also tell people like, hey, in our workshop, we agreed to like 12 session thing. Let's save like that, like to be continued for like after this thing gets resolved and then we'll go explore that. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's not not lose our, I think what I'm looking for is not losing momentum. I'm not looking like restart momentum in a storyline. That's just my particular style of play. Hmm. And I've not had anyone rub against that yet. (laughs) I can... Yeah, but if done, I, I, I mean, if done well, it's res- going to be good. Yeah, but I'm also respecting the fact that, like, there are probably players who, like, don't, uh, would, like, well, this is the thing I want to do right now. I was like, okay, if everyone here on the table is on board with that, we will do that. But if that's not the consensus, we will explore it. It's just not going to be right now. Mm. Uh and I think that's something important to realize, like one person's fun versus the table's fun sort of thing. Because I I feel like I'm very in the, like, how is everyone being copacetically? And I think we talked, did we talk about this last session? About how... Session. Or last show about how one Just person... Like it's becoming a game that we play every Monday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... Someone, br- I can't remember if someone brought up, but someone like, oh, I think Raph maybe did this uh, last week, but talked about how when everyone's deciding on a game play, one person may just be like, you know what, I'm f- I'm fine. Like, I don't need to, like, really decide what you're playing or, like, what character I'll make. I'll just substitute in because it seems like um, Maxwell is really interested in exploring this heist industrial Victorian city thing and, like, I'll play whatever. It's so like, let's focus on like what Max really is engaged with and I'll vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are definitely players who just vibe. I'm a player that just vibes. Like I always fill the holes of whatever's going on, party composition, story things. I'll tag team someone's story. Like I don't really, I'm a very front story kind of player. So I can also see people who act, uh, I don't want to say indifferently because it's not like they don't care about how they're engaging with the game and the other players. It's just like, they're fine with just chilling and like 
taking follow this time, which I find really fascinating. But anyways, it's all to say that like, I respect that someone may be watching this or listening to this be like, you, I don't really like that. But don't like, don't give railroading a bad rap because sometimes like you want to finish a thing and like, um, like thinking about actual plays, they have like show episode limits sometimes. It's like, (laughs) hey, we can only like do five episodes. We got to do the thing. (laughs) Like we have to make the arc feel complete for the listener. So I think I'm influenced by that a little bit as well. Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, I've never I mean, the only actual play I've ever really listened to is Friends of the Table. Um, Mm -hmm. And they definitely have more. I mean, that's definitely influenced the way I play games because they definitely have a more. You know, we'll get done when we get done. And if we want to go off on a side story, like we're gonna because we'll make that the main story if we have to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Which is also how I don't know. That's that's kind of how I feel like if, if everybody's interested I think it's I think it's interesting the thing you bring up about like if one player is interested like maybe we shouldn't derail the whole thing if everybody isn't um, and I think yeah. that's definitely a good practice is just like hey is everybody into this or are you cool with waiting until later to to really dive yeah. in um, have you ever um, read or played the game Legacy Life Among the Ruins because I think it just I'm does not. some interesting stuff in this space um, I've never I've never heard of that. It is a Power by the Apocalypse game, but it's it's very ambitious, honestly, as a game. <laughs> I had started a campaign of it right in uh in I wanna say January of twenty twenty, so unfortunate and it was not a game that I felt like I could run online, so it uh fell apart pretty quickly. But the core concept of the game is every everybody makes a um like instead of making a character at the very beginning, you make a house, you make like an Mm. important, you basically as a player, you're in charge of an important Mm. faction. Mm. And then in that faction, you make a, um, you make a a main character for like this generation. Definitely just like the concept of this game influenced grasping nettles for sure. I'm, (laughs) I'm realizing it as I explain it because you got factions, generations, characters. Yeah. Um, and so everybody makes a character and then you like mix you 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 mix the uh what's it called the houses up like they're they're pointed in different directions as as relationships like you would with characters so it's like oh our your house owes my house some shit and so it's a little pvp in that sense but the way it mm-hmm. handles like the varying levels of interest in different storylines is like if my character of my house is going on like a mission or doing something where we would zoom in, it does a lot of zooming in and zooming out of like, here's mm-hmm. faction level play. Oh, let's look at this. Let's have like a traditional role playing session about that. Um, basically, every other player at the table will make a, a, a new character. Like they call, I think they call them minor characters or something like that. Mm-hmm. That is part of like your main characters like posse or party or whatever. So whenever mm-hmm. you want to be interested in um a new storyline, when one player's like, "Ooh, I want to explore this." The game is like, "Do it." And everybody, you don't need to force your character to be interested in that cuz like maybe they don't even like each other. Just bring in this other character that you also play. So it's like a mm-hmm. lot of like cognitive work, I think, on everybody's part because everybody's <laughs> juggling all of these different characters and storylines. But it's like super fascinating, um, as a game, 
in the way that it answers that question of how do we deal with when one player when one player's character is interested in something and nobody else is. Mm-hmm, it's a cool game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing I was I had thought about this while I was talking, but I didn't I didn't sit, it didn't make sense to bring up at the time. But uh, if there is a player who is like hyper interested in something that has emerged from play and they like don't want to wait that i mean if you both have the time that may be an opportunity to like legitimately break off and like tell a side story if only that player wants to go now you're it requires your game to facilitate or for you to do the work of like making a solo like solo if the example is dnd 5e a solo dnd 5e game if it doesn't already support solo play uh or or single player play but um yeah it's a it's a good you could do a post by play as well like even if your game requires combat maybe you don't have to necessarily do like a combat you could just do the story and make have them make some rolls at home or something like that like there are a ton of ways to facilitate even that player um outside of the main campaign and then if there's a moment like if they get jazzed about talking about it at a session, uh, like on the debrief or or the decompress or whatever, or the the recap. Like maybe then the players are like, oh, that's really cool. I'd love to like help you out. Like my character would love to help you out with something like that. Like there's a lot of different ways to like slice that pie mm-hmm. and uh, accommodate if if you can. Uh, but usually the consensus is that we have time for one game at a time, right. uh, and we can't really do that. Uh, but a post by play might be pretty easy if you just like chat bubble with the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny that you say one game at a time. Cause the other thing that I thought of is in the aforementioned, the party went to the North on this impossible diplomatic task. Mm -hmm. uh, arc of my campaign Um, that was at about that was wrapping up at about the same time that I was discovering um, that I was what am I what was I discovering I was discovering other games indie games not Mm D&D I was like growing tired Mm -hmm. of D&D discovering other games Um, and so they were gone for so long I was like I am not as the GM like I don't feel like even like, I don't, I don't feel like it's my responsibility or not my responsibility, but like, I shouldn't just say what happened while you were gone. Now that you're getting mm-hmm. on this boat and heading back home, it's been a long time. So what we did is we started a second, like mini, probably maybe 12 sessions. Who knows? <laughs> I'd have to go back and <laughs> Perfect number. go through the chat logs, but we started a, a smaller campaign of dungeon world, uh, to just adjudicate what happened. They made a new party. And that's how we ended up with the finale part that we talked about um, Mm. where, uh, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what, I don't want to decide what happens. Let's play. I want to play this other game for one, because I want to try other games and which worked out for me. Look at me now. I am a game designer. Um, I want to, let's play this other game and Wolf their adventures will show what happens to the world. And then we'll figure out how the fuck to combine all that later. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. I think that's a, yeah. a method I would recommend is playing other games as a part of your game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone, maybe it was me. Maybe I told myself this while I was thinking in the shower, but I was thinking about how, as I make Umbral Dive, 
and I wanted want a game that can do like emergent story play and combat better than D and D like how D and D five E kind of like has rapid breaking between the different phases of play, the combat and the non combat. Mm. Um, but I was also thinking like if you have a game that does storytelling really well but you also want to like do the minutia of the second by second action combat thing why not just play like two games at one time mm-hmm. now you're talking and yeah and like like basically phase between games like mm-hmm. roll initiative bring out your D 5e character sheets right combat's over uh bring out your fucking i'm gonna look around my room like i have a bunch <laughs> Around, but i don't uh bring out your uh like no stone unturned character sheets hey that's my game <laughs> yeah i was trying to think of one that had like a very like uh like a vague style skill system or something like that and that's mm-hmm. yeah well we are at the top of the hour is there anything this chat's been active which is cool hello thank you is there anything that we should address in there i'm just gonna scroll through for one second yeah first thing uh thank you for pit dude for the prime subscription appreciate it every little bit helps uh sorry i didn't mention that sooner uh hello to a lot of new chatters uh in the chat let's see ruthlessness uh binge bear log that data was earlier uh, I think that's it for the for the new people. Yeah, <laughs> fictive fun. Thanks for coming back. I don't know. We we have a small niche community, and there's no reason that we shouldn't engage with that because you're all awesome, and uh, we wouldn't necessarily be doing this fucking thing if it wasn't wasn't for you. So, thanks for helping us out, and thank you to our uh, new subscriber today. Enjoy the Adam Bell emote that we have. God, <laughs> we'll get more eventually. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know how to yeah. Twitch. Um, Unlock this emote. Oh, uh, share my I see. Emote. Pit Dude is Rain. Hi, Rain. It's been a long time. We should uh, stop this pandemic so we can go play a game again. <laughs> we should end the pandemic. <laughs> uh, there's God, lots of cool conjecture going in on the chat. About a ton of different games, a ton of different GMing methods. I'm really glad this sparked like great conversation in here. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I guess for the for the end of the show, um, have you ever ended uh, a can- like any of your campaigns? Just that one. Just has, that one has officially been over. Yeah, yeah. We had the big finale big fight um and then we we closed it out with a game of the quiet year because i again i was like i don't have anything here to i'm not just gonna say what happens we've been mm-hmm. playing we played that that campaign was at least i dislike two, that two to three I years that also. yeah um so like two to three years of all of us putting in not weekly but it may as well have been weekly it was weekly when we were doing it but you know mm-hmm. some sometimes oh, I can't. uh <laughs> can't do it <laughs> can't come this week uh which is me often too uh but yeah there's 
then we played the quiet year because I was like, you're gonna we're gonna play the quiet year wrong because like you're going to be playing like as advocates of your characters and like mm-hmm. show us what your character's doing at the end. And it was it was really good. Mm-hmm. I think that's really I think that's really smart. And rootlessness also thinks it's very smart. <laughs> uh, I have done open ended endings of mm-hmm. campaigns. I've not like had a like a clip. This is it. Um, mainly because we get to like session 30 or something and i'm feeling fizzled out i'm like i am not this is taking too long uh <laughs> so we're gonna move to something else and uh usually my my group will vibe with that but um sometimes i can feel like the uh like oh i wish we could go on for forever i don't want to go on for forever i do <laughs> I have right. I have fifty other games sitting in my box I would like to explore, but um, I don't. I have never finished a game. I have open ended finished three games of varying length. Mm-hmm. I recommend. I I do like the the final finish. I like the the campaign I started after that was that legacy campaign, Life mm-hmm. Among the Ruins. So like that just got squashed by being unable to see each other again, and we in the brief time before now where I'm also again, not seeing anybody (laughs) until shit calms down in that brief time. We were playing a campaign of a board game, the King's dilemma uh, with that group. So we didn't Mm -hmm. start a new role-playing campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, one of these days I'll start again. The the game I've been playing, the D and D game I've been playing in as a player since 20, like 15 probably is on its final arc. I hear (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. 2015. Yeah, dude. 2022 final arc is I think it's, now. I think it's, yeah. I've been promised. Because the DM, <laughs> he's, he's known for about three years now that I just have lost all taste for D&D. I've ensured him that I would quit if I wasn't having fun many times. And, like, I'm not going to be. I've ensured him, like, look, it's fine. I'll play D&D. That's what we agreed to play. I'm happy to keep playing. You know, you do. I love all of you. I won't start a new game. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he, he said like, this is it. This is, I think we're on the final arc. We can end after this. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Cause it's just nice to end. Yeah. It's just so, nice. Then it's nice to feel complete. Mm-hmm. It's cathartic. It's also nice to have been playing a game for like seven years. That's super yeah. weird, <laughs> but it's yeah. like poker night. You've been playing poker night for the last 20 years with the same people, mm-hmm. right? So, like, and, like, who doesn't spend four hours playing poker at poker night and drinking beer and eating chips and smoking cigarettes? I can only <laughs> think of 90s sitcoms that have been doing this. I can't imagine what a modern poker night looks like. Mm. Uh, it's only that version. Cigars, scotch, cards, uh, and people. People or dogs instead of people. Or dogs, uh, yeah. And with that. Anyway. <laughs> this let's call it here. Tabletop, call-in show, talk show show. Uh, <laughs> if only I've it had Jeremy a different Gale. name. Yeah. Uh, if only it had a different <laughs> name. Three weeks. Uh, I've been Jeremy Gage. You can find me at Jeremy Gage 5 over on Twitter. You can uh, listen to the podcast for more like game design stuff we just started the new season you can go check out eric faber's episode that came out last saturday this next week will be a solo episode of me 
talking about Umbral Dive stuff. Uh, so look forward to that. And uh, kicking it over to you, Adam. Yeah, I've been Adam Bell. Uh, find me on Twitter at Adam E. Bell. Get my games at Adam E. Bell games. Um, grasping nettles, printing now. Uh, my goal today is to try to print and fold about 50 of these and then do that every day this week and then I'll be free. <laughs> well, not free because then I got to make the, uh, the screen printed wheels that I for some reason promised people for money. It wasn't free, but like yeah. maybe I shouldn't have. I'm excited to have it. <laughs> it's the thing where I wanted one. And so like, I may as well, we may as well make a bunch of them in case other people want them. And it's nice that people wanted them, but also, oh. yeah. <laughs> but now I got to make what did them. I do? <laughs> <laughs> and now I got to make them. I can't just make like a dumpster one that I would be happy with personally. It's got to be yeah. something that yeah. I have sold. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <sighs> That's fine. I'm excited for it. Um, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for showing up today. Thank you for our new subscriber, Pit Dude. Thank you to all of our subscribers who continue to support us uh, in the last. What did we got our first? We got our first subscriber four, three or four shows ago. So it's I been know. almost a month already. Uh, thank you for continuing to support us. Uh, and yeah, Adam. Yeah, that's it. Hitting the, hitting the button. Bye.